Welcome back to part two of this very special feature week of the incredible Gainsight on the official Sasta podcast brought to you by Jason Lemkin at Sasta on Jason LK on Twitter and me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC, who you can find on Snapchat at H Stebbings with two Bs. Now, following from the show with Nick Mater on Monday, I'm delighted to welcome a fellow Gainsight legend. Joining me today is Anthony Canada, a founding VP of marketing at Gainsight, building and leading the customer success industry. He's responsible for managing the company's global marketing strategy from demand generation to brand marketing and is credited with creating the Pulse community of customer success leaders. Today, over 3,000 execs attend the annual Pulse conference in San Francisco and over 25 chapters of Pulse local communities across the globe. Anthony began his career as an early employee at Box as part of the company's iconic shift from targeting consumers to targeting enterprise businesses. And he later joined LiveOffice, a leading cloud-based email archiving solution, up until their acquisition for $115 million by Symantec. And I'd also like to say a huge thank you to Ivan Mazur at Ametria for the intro to Anthony today, without which the interview could not have happened. But now it's time for me to pass the mic over to the main man, Anthony Canada, VP of Marketing at Gainsight. Good. Perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Anthony, it's such a pleasure to have you on the official Sasta podcast today, and a huge thank you to Ivan for the intro. But thank you so much for joining us today. Excited to to be on, and not, you know, I've listened to, to a number of the sessions already, so really uh, uh, an honor to be included. Really appreciate it. Right, I want to start off today, Anthony, by talking about how you went from being a product manager to being trusted with being a VP of marketing at one of the hottest SaaS businesses in the valley. Talk to me about that story. Yeah, I, I still kind of uh, uh, reflect on it uh, quite a bit. Uh, I actually, it's interesting, this is actually my first marketing job. My background, you know, to your point, started at, at Box on, on the business development side and then at Symantec at a uh, product managing uh, manager position. And so uh, I applied for the role here at Gainsight, which originally was called Vera Software, to run product. Uh, I'd worked with Nick, our, our CEO, who, who you know well, in his previous company. He he kind of shocked me as he said, hey, so h- how do you feel about marketing? And I literally had to revise my 30, 60, 90 plan that I put in front of him by like Wikipedia-ing what uh, demand gen was and trying to understand kind of all that, the, the nomenclature and be able to sort of fake <laughs> Fake it till you make it. You were Googling behind his back, weren't you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, totally. So uh, it, it's interesting, but I think honestly being sort of green um, in, in the very early days um, of Gainsight paid off uh, on the marketing side because a lot of the tactics around you know creating a, a new category in customer success weren't anything uh, that you could read online or, or could, you know, talk to many folks that it had done before. You know, certainly the playbook around disruption was there and understanding how to build and scale a, a you know, high-performing demand gen team. But a lot of the early uh, tricks of the trade were experimental and, you know, we, we learned a lot uh, together on the job. Now, we're going to get into the new category creation side in a minute, but I do want to start off with a question from the main man, Ivan himself. Um, and, and so having parachuted into the role um, and Googling your way through the first couple of weeks, I presume. Um, how did you grow the team out from there? I mean, what roles did you fill first? What came next? And what were the actual steps? I, I think in the early days as well, the, the being very self-aware as to where your natural energies as a, not just a marketer, but as a, a um, you know, tech person in general are is, is a really good step. And so I found that 
when it came to a lot of day-to-day parts of the job that I get really excited about, it was certainly a lot more of the brand, the creative, what you would call, I guess, a traditional corporate marketing focus. Now, you know, that exposed to Nick and myself a belief that there's really two types of marketers out there. There's the ones that are incredibly detail-oriented, super passionate about operational efficiency, and, and they're really living in Excel and spreadsheets. And then you've got the creatives like me who tend to think in PowerPoint and, you know, really be um, sort of having the, the big dreams and, and, you know, trying to then figure out a way to, to execute on it. And so I really needed my sort of counterpart um, that was very detail oriented, a strong demand gen person. And so I would, you know, the way I would uh, think about building a team is do the self-assessment in the early days, figure out kind of. Um, where your natural strengths lie, and then find that that counterbalance. If you're the the hardcore demand gen uh, growth hacker type type of mentality, find someone that's going to push the boundaries on on the brand side. And you know, for a very long time, it was just uh, the two of us um, until we then brought in someone to help with events. Um, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, events are really a big part of our marketing mix here. You know, we ran as sort of this three-person marketing team for about a, you know two years before really uh, scaling the the organization. And those components, really, the creative uh, demand gen uh, piece, and then of course the the events were really the three kind of weights of of, of our investment level. I'm intrigued having such a kind of core strong bond with your second marketer for such a long time. How was it bringing in a third into the foray, and how did you kind of empower them with the the vision and the passion that you had uh, with your PowerPoint. <laughs> it probably was a PowerPoint, actually. I, <laughs> you know, I, uh, it, it, it's it's interesting because the, the the in my head the the three of us, the core team in the early days, really kind of figured it all out together. We're sort of you know like like many folks probably listening to this, we're just running as fast as possible, trying to execute on so many different things, wearing different hats, and so we kind of bonded through that process. It was really when we ended up scaling from three to now 21 people total, believe it or not, on the marketing team, that a lot of that cultural shift happened. The latter folks were more of the traditional kind of growth marketers that we brought on the team that you know, have done this before. They've scaled SaaS businesses, those, those types of, of personas. And so they saw some of the crazy stuff that, that the three of us came up with, and they, they literally thought we were insane. But they've helped us really operationalize and help take things to the next level. So in the early days, I think you can really sort of ride that passion and, and the hustle. Uh, but then you really need to invest in sort of the, the scale elements. And that cultural dynamic has been a really, really fun one to watch. And I have to ask, you gave me such a tease of that. What's the craziest stuff you think you've done? Let's see. We filmed a uh, carpool karaoke video with uh, uh, our CEO, Nick, and Aaron Levy, the CEO of Vox. Um, <laughs> At our conference last year, we had a Taylor Swift impersonator seeing a customer success version of Blank Space. Um, Do you have these? Are these on YouTube for us? These are, they are on YouTube, yes. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. And I'll include the links in the show notes. Awesome. But I mean, the idea is I, for, for a lot of you know, different reasons, but really sort of going big and bold um, in the early days, even when your budget necessarily can't support it, but trying to act louder. Um, and, and look like a much bigger company. I think that there, there's some truth there and uh, that being a big, uh, a, a big difference maker uh, in, in the early days. 
Now, I, I, I want to break up the show now into kind of three distinctive parts. So, so we're going to first talk about marketing, of course, uh, a bit of a necessity here. Uh, the 60 second Sasta, which is the quick fire. And then we're going to dive into the events and the conferences after that. Yeah, sounds great. So let's start then with marketing. And although you weren't in marketing with Box, uh, obviously you're a PM there. Uh, how do you think the B2B marketing world has changed from Box to today with Gainsight? Yep. You know, the days actually, it's interesting. I think, I think we're really in this third wave right now of proper B2B sales and marketing. And it started a little bit before Box. You had sort of the old school sales approach, right? Where sales was really driving a lot of um, what we would call demand gen today. They would go and camp out at the company HQ. They would really, you know, study the 10Ks. It's, it's your typical kind of Oracle field sales model. And in those days, Marketing was really sort of doing more of the corporate marketing piece, right? There was the, the brand police and stuff along those lines. And uh, the weight of influence, I think, was really tipped in the, um, the direction of sales. During our time at Vox is really when this whole you know, rise of the content marketer, funnel marketing piece kind of all came, in, came into fruition. We really started you know, listening to the, the Marketos and Eloquas of the world. Marketing all of a sudden, the CMO became much more influential. We started you know, creating all this content, webinars, you name it, driving folks into the funnel. And obviously, that's kind of the world we've been living in ever since. And I think where we're going today is really the interesting piece. It's reminiscent of the old school sales tactics where we're really moving from a model of fishing with nets and trying to get as many folks as possible into the funnel, regardless of whether they're good or not, qualify the bad ones out, work the good ones through the funnel, to really moving to an account-based model where we're identifying who are the whales that we want to go uh, and, and close uh, as, as customers. How do we go and do it? But the difference is that marketing is now in the trenches with sales. And so we're leveraging uh, technology, we're leveraging data that we have access to um, that we never had before, and we're able to provide air cover for the, the sales organization. And so this distinction between sales and marketing are as independent parts of the tree of the org chart. I think you know one day we'll start to go away, and you'll see this kind of emergence of marketing and sales together going out and bring and sort of flipping the traditional uh, context of the funnel and bring some of the, the the good customers, the big customers, the big ACV deals through. And we just had actually John Miller from Engageo on the show. Right. And he's talked about the, the integration of ABM and account-based sales development together, uh, very yeah. much in a similar way as you are there. Um, but I mean, I'm intrigued then, and you spoke about the kind of the mass increasing content that you did and doing everything mm -hmm. from webinar. Is that due to the largely competitive space that you're in? And, and how do you think we should be thinking about marketing both in demand, gen and corporate differently in these crowded spaces? Yeah. Well, I think they go hand in hand because in, especially in evangelical markets like Gainsight and Box, kind of um, where, where you're really trying to um, evangelize not just a, a product, but a process reinvention, that the value in the market will ultimately go to the person, the company um, that's going to be uh, deemed the, the thought leader in the space. And so all of the, you know, corporate marketing initiatives, the, the events that you do, you know, to some extent, some of the webinars and, and, and different pieces that you do on the digital side, they're not just helping you, you know, convert that interest in, into you know, leads and kind of the traditional marketing funnel piece, but they're also establishing your brand. And so there's a lot of, of noise today. And I think that if you open up your, your email inbox in the morning, you probably are, you know, spending the first 
you know, 45 seconds at least deleting as many emails as, as, as you can, you can perceive to be spam or perceive to be a, a, a marketing message. And so how do you rise above that? How do you stand out on the brand front and then have just a killer prospecting and sales function to really monetize your market leadership? That's, that's what you have to think about in a competitive space. So how do you look to do that? Because I mean, it is the golden question and CB Insights try and do it with their catchy subject lines, you know, Andreessen Horowitz <laughs> is dead full stop. Uh, so how do you look to stand above the crowd? There's many sort of different tactics. Uh, you know, what we've leaned on heavily is, is doing quite a bit of events, um, whether it's massive conferences or regional, you know, series of events, road shows. And how we rise above is winning the, building the database around the thought leadership side, building the folks that are sort of subscribed to Gainsight, not as just a, a technology vendor, but as almost a, a, a programming channel for their job. If they want to be great at customer success, they want to hopefully subscribe to our blog, subscribe to our webinar series, attend the events. And so the more we can fulfill that brand promise, the more folks are opting into our database and the more folks we can then market when we're, when we, we're um, uh, having something local in their region. And then hopefully when the time's right, when the strategy is defined around customer success, we can then come in with, with a sales conversation. And so monetizing the thought leadership, I think, is the, is the big trick or the, the art of this is on the prospecting team who has these conversations with folks that are downloading your budget templates. They're, they're listening to your webinars that have nothing to do with your product and then being consultative in those conversations, um, but then ultimately looking for the the opportunities to engage and have more of a, of a, a sales conversation. And, and, and I want to touch on something that you spoke about earlier, and that was kind of creating new categories. And I'd yeah. love to hear what your market learnings are in creating new categories versus maybe new players in existing categories. Yeah, and, and we it's great. We talked about this a little bit at the, the Sastra annual event with, with Aaron, and I, I love his definition of, of it, that companies are today building businesses at the heart of process reinvention where incumbent technologies don't exist. And so this is the classic now, now classic, I should say, Peter Thiel, zero to one, right? Like working, building businesses where uh, in non-competitive markets or owning the market altogether. And we're seeing that Companies that are able to create a new market, they're able to dominate it, um, are getting about 76% of the value uh, in, in that market. So from an investment perspective, from a, from a, a, a profit a valuation perspective, um, there, there's a lot of opportunity on, on the category creation side. And so for us, that's kind of been our focus um, at, at Gainsight was really to invest in building um, and evangelizing this brand new job function. In customer success, we will never claim to have invented it. It's something that the good folks at Salesforce, I think, were sort of the, fir the first folks that, that that saw the need to invest in, in a team here. But what didn't exist was a industry that was wrapped around helping make those folks successful, helping make them think that somewhere out there there's a company that that cares about them, that cares about their role, and that wants to make them heroes. And so from a marketing perspective, that was our job. How, how do we make them feel like heroes have the resources they need to, to not sit idly by as sales rings the gong and as marketing goes off to their community events, but to feel like they're part of something. And so the way we did that is to really invest in community. So there's some of the, you know, the, the John Miller School of Early Stage Content Marketing really investing in a lot of resources around 
um, you know, budget planning, you know, being able to hire, what are some job, uh, job templates, um, a number of different things to really help build the pieces around um, from a content perspective of what they need to be great at their role. We held a conference that we do every year, and it's not about gainsight. It's all about best practices and networking um, around customer success. And do you think it's that authenticity then around kind of neutrality that, that makes you so brilliant at it in terms of it's not gainsight, gainsight, you know, sell, sell, sell. It's come here and you'll learn how to make your customers reach their full potential. Yeah, I think that's key. And I think, you know, we talk about often ensuring that we're not violating that brand promise because if the second we do, we lose all credibility in, in, in the space, right? And so we have to authentically believe that we are doing this for the best interests of the community and our actions need to, need to correspond. Uh, and so we're constantly holding ourselves accountable when we think of, of a new idea. And uh, one quick example is we have 25 local chapters of Pulse around the U.S. and Canada today, hoping to expand to Europe, where folks get together once a quarter, share their scars, and they compare notes in their local local community. And we don't even show up. We just help uh, leverage our database to get them there, um, to drive as many folks there. We, we do the registration process for them, and then we have a local leader. Some are customers, some are not. So, so I, I use that as an example because it, it's very easy for a vendor to say, great, We'll be there. We'll start with a 10-minute sales pitch on what Gainsight is and the product and then eventually do a, a happy hour Q&A or you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But we want to be authentic and say the goal here is to expand the TAM around this new category, not to convert you right away, yeah. <laughs> but to help invest in that and in, in the development of this whole brand new job function. And then before we dive into a quick fire round, I want I want to ask a question from the legendary Lampkin himself. <laughs> so, so, so Jason wants to know, how can marketing help support going up market and driving ACVs up? I mean, you've done it well with Box and, and Gainsight now. So how does this work? Yeah, th- I mean, this is the, the new school John Miller Engageo uh, uh, talk track, but account-based marketing is uh, what I believe it, 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 the next sort of way. It's Gainsight's response, frankly, to the board of going up market, driving higher ACVs. You have an opportunity now to deploy uh, tactics, deploy spend against a set of named accounts that you know are going to ultimately spend more with you. If you're using Gainsight internally, you understand who your healthy customers are, what attributes they they share. And you can then look at the very top of the funnel and try to figure out who are those like customers. And then you can do things like you know uh, ad-based retargeting, direct mailers, working with the sales team to have you know, personalized webinars, personalized events at, at the HQ. That investment, fishing with, with spears, as John calls it, is really going to be uh, a better allocation of resources to go and get the high ACV deals using those same sort of tactics from the marketing perspective to drive upsell or drive adoption or cross-sell for your existing customer base. Um, so in both of those, those cases, you're now moving up, uh, up market, you're, you're getting uh, bigger deals, uh, but you're also able to expand your footprint within your existing customers. And marketing now has a big, big part of that. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's my favorite round. It's, it's a 60 seconds faster. So quick fire round, 60 seconds right. per answer. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. So billboards, why aren't they stupid? <laughs> Uh, well, it depends where, uh, you know, we've got a very influential stretch of highway here in the Bay area. So, uh, you know, talked about a very noisy inbox and being able to, you know, take advantage of a captive audience that's very likely in traffic and striking some controversy is, uh, is a good way to get your message across. Okay. In the data world that we live in, where we all love to measure things, how can you measure the conversion on billboards? Uh, tough. 
very, very tough. Um, I would file it more under brand. Uh, you could measure it under impressions from a, a literal traffic perspective. Um, that's how the billboard people want to sell it to you. <laughs> but uh, that's probably the best, the best answer I've got for that. Okay, no, that's good. And then CEO promotion. What do you do if they don't want to be uh, the PR frontman? Uh, that that that's on your on the marketing leader. I think to have a hard conversation because if your competitor's CEO is, uh, is is the front man, that's that's a very uh, tough kind of challenger position to be in. And then, what are the channels that work best for you to drive demand? The events. Uh, it, it sounds old school, but. Um, you know, the indi- our Pulse, our industry conference, is the single biggest contributor to Pipeline every year for us. Did you expect uh, it to be such a success, if that makes uh, any sense at all? And you, you know, uh, <laughs> when you came to the job, did you expect events to be the dominant aspect of your marketing funnel? Absolutely not. And I tried to talk Nick out of it the first, that when he came up with the idea to, to do an event. Um, we were 60 days on the job. We had just rebranded the business to Gainsight. But for whatever reason, it, it worked great. And we, uh, we doubled down year on year. Fantastic. And, and, then, and then finally, what have you learned most about creating a category? One thing. Just the fulfillment, I think, because you're, you're not just evangelizing a product or a solution. At least in the case of enterprise software, you're, you're investing in a job function and you're creating a career path for the people in the market. Um, and so the human component of it has been just incredibly sort of, uh, it, it helps get you out of bed every day when you think about what you're building on the marketing side. What's the biggest challenge for you in your role? Other than budget uh, constraints and being able to manage, manage internally. Can I have more uh, money, Nick? <laughs> but exactly, Nick, come on. No, but, but I, I, the biggest piece I would say is um, when you're selling into an evangelical market, um, the deal cycles are different and they're hard. They're, uh, in many cases, long. Um, you're selling the value of customer success. And then you talk about this Gainsight thing that, that, that we've built. So um, I, I think trying to understand kind of the, the funnel economics and, and uh, that sort of piece when you're over-investing on thought leadership in the early days, that's the, the hardest challenge for me personally. And then we spoke about content earlier. Final quick fire question. What's your favorite SaaS content provider? It could be a newsletter, blog, podcast. Obviously, SaaS is number one, so we, we can take that yeah. out of the equation. But but what, what other than SaaS would you say is your must? Wow, Saster's the the go. Jason would, would kill me if I didn't say uh, Saster. But, you know, uh, I think both sides of the table – Nick actually does does a great blog on metaphysical that um, Mark Suster. I'm big on Snapchat now, so mm-hmm. I'm following Mark on on, uh, on on the old snaps. Is your Snapchat Snapchat public? I think so, but it's probably incredibly boring. But I think it's a Canada. Okay, a k e n n a d a. Exactly. Yeah, look forward to that one. Um, and and then we're going to put that, that quick fire round over. You can have a breather. Um, oh, I and I want to discuss now the main element that we've been talking about that forms kind of the majority of your role being the conferences and events now. So yeah. so especially you're rocking with Pulse. Um, so how should CEOs and VPMs think about and budget for events? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, we've talked about sort of the evolution of marketing and in sort of this box to today's time horizon, you know, there's been the overinvestment of, you know, by name, marketing automation, automating a lot of parts of marketing. And that's great. But but there's a big part of sort of the human element of marketing that you end up sort of deprioritizing in the process. And so I think events are really bringing back sort of the the people interaction that's missed in demand gen and SEO and PPC and all the other kind of, you know, digital tactics that we deploy. Um, 
you've got your customers who aren't just logos anymore, right? <laughs> they they want to they're people and they want to invest in uh, their own career development. They want to meet other people that are like them in their roles and grow their network. And you know, in the case of events, and uh, you know, obviously the the Pulse playbook, the the Saster playbook as well. They want to be entertained as well. They don't check their personal lives to the door when they come to work. You know, they're they're people. Combining all those things, I think, is where the magic happens. And and I, I'd really encourage any business to think think very carefully about ha- having their own event versus sponsoring just just others. We had our first conference when we had less than 10 customers. So I, I don't believe it's ever too early to do it. You know, you might ask about, you asked about budget. There's a lot of ways I think to run an, an uh, efficient event in year one year, and then hopefully prove the value there and go and recruit sponsors for year two to offset the cost. You know, we were able this year with a lot of discipline, host a 500 person conference in London for, you know, it ended up being, you know, almost a break-even event for us. And then we hope to do the same this year at, uh, with 3,000 people at Pulse. It, it's really kind of getting the early, proving the model out early in a way that's cost-efficient and then recruiting sponsors to, to help offset the cost in future years. You're building the brand, you're establishing your dominant position in the market. And ultimately, if you're, if you're investing the right way, you're able to to monetize that thought leadership into, into pipeline. So say you do have a small budget then, what are the crucials that you need to spend on, do you think? Yeah, I think especially in year one, your speaker list actually matters because uh, you, from a credibility perspective, if this is your first event, you're still to some extent proving uh, why people should uh, should come. Uh, and and for you know many cases, you know we'd recommend selling tickets and not giving them away for free. We the the biggest line item in the budget for us was getting a big keynote speaker. We had Jeffrey Moore in our first year. Uh, in our second year at Malcolm Gladwell, that became the draw because the audience said, "Hey, look, we we are in customer success. This is our our job. This is um, our our passion. And now here comes Malcolm Gladwell, the person's uh, I've read three of his books, and he's going to talk about customer success. That's incredible. I I don't want to miss it. That helped strengthen the brand equity of the event um, in the early years. And in the and, and from there on out, I'd say just continuing year on year investing in the experience bit." Um, which again, Saster does a phenomenal job of ensuring that people have the great content resources. And so do you have, you know, is your agenda built out such that you can really drive return attendance year on year? It's not just, you know, the, the, the type of coffee you're pouring in the hallway. And I want to finish then on a, on a question from the man behind Gainsight, Nick. And, and he says, what are the biggest challenges behind building Pulse as an event? And then what three tips would you give to someone wanting to run a successful event? Yeah. <laughs> every year uh, we end up saying, I don't know how we're going to beat this next year. Literally every single year. Right now our conference is four days away and we're already uh, scratching our heads for how we can beat this in 2017. And so the biggest challenge I would say is pushing the boundaries of your creativity, uh, of your value delivery on the content networking side, all while running an efficient program on the budget and spend side. There are two kind of contrasting uh, strategies, but being able to, to do both three things, uh, you know, I mentioned this, but really investing in the experience. You know, we were gone from the days of the um, airport hotel conference, right? Like people, people want to to have fun, and and I think that helps with it, uh, retention of of the concepts being positioned. Is that like little touches? Is that like Jason had a unicorn at Saturday yeah. this year? Is it those sorts of things? It is. It, it's the fact that people are still talking about the gourmet Bloody Marys that were poured at eight a.m. at, at Saster. It's oh, legendary. It's, 
Exactly. Right. It's, it's it, little things that get people talking. Um, and also help smooth the experience in, in that case. Uh, poor, poor Jason's budget there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But okay, okay, so the experience one, the keynote speakers two, would you say? I would, um, but I'd say, you know, keynote speakers certainly are in the investment to drive registrations, I would say, in year one. Um, but the content surrounding that, that keynote stage um, is really what I think drives return attendance. Uh, people people will come and, and really talk about the Bloody Marys, but they'll buy the ticket again because they took 12 pages of notes, brought it back to their business, implemented it, and saw the change. Really make sure that the content sticks. And third, you know, listen to your attendees. So you know, we do a big survey every year. We measure our NPS of the event. We have a mobile app we, that we partner with Double Dutch on to really capture sort of the, uh, in the live engagement um, of folks while they're there. Um, if something goes wrong, if, you know, last year that, uh, it was a cold day and we had to kind of bring in heaters, we were able to communicate with everyone at scale through the market, that mobile app. So really having sort of that, that, uh, connection with your attendees is going to help you build trust in the events, uh, get the year on year returned, uh, uh, attendees and ultimately drive pipeline. Well, Anthony, I have no doubt that you'll push the barriers of creativity in four days' time with Pulse. I look very forward to reading all about the success, um, and it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Awesome. Pleasure's all mine, Harry. Thank you so much. Please hang up and try again. What a fantastic episode that was with Anthony, and I'd like to thank everyone at Gainsight for making this feature on Sasta possible. And if you enjoyed the show, you can follow both me and Anthony on Snapchat at hstebbings and at a Canada. That's double M for Canada. Or you can follow the main man Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. A huge thank you, as always, for all your support, and we look very forward to bringing you our next episode on Monday.